This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show on a fat Tuesday. Good morning to you, Bob. <laughs> well, good morning, Dave. You know what I love about this? You keep me up to date on just about everything. I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, yeah, tomorrow's a, it's, it's Mardi Gras today, and tomorrow the start of Lent, and also Valentine's Day. So eat your chocolates wow. today. If you're going to give up chocolate for Lent, that's not a good thing. You'll miss out on well, Valentine's Day. That's right. That's right. That's right. So we've got uh, the two big <laughs> items. We've got both chocolate and we got flowers on, ah, on a great day like this. There you right? go. I like the flowers idea. You know, the flowers idea isn't so bad. They're low-calorie, I understand. That's right. Well, <laughs> don't try to eat them. That's not good for you. I don't think. I don't know. Like, I, I'm sorry. We're cutting out here. But uh, you're right. right. Uh, for the most part, there are some edible flowers. <laughs> I suppose. And actually, in this, in this age, there's some nasturtiums and other things. And wow. in terms of decorations and so forth, some of the real exotic restaurants uh, do, in fact, uh, uh, promote the fact that they actually dress things up with some edible flowers, but for the most part, uh, and those are pretty low calorie as well, I'm sure. I suppose. But for the <laughs> for the most part, you know, uh, of course they're not edible and low calorie, and you know it's kind of interesting to think of some of the classics. And we have a little history in Duluth. Uh, you know, we're talking about roses now, mm-hmm. the the uh, premier flower, perhaps for Valentine's Day. You know, we got two big types out there. We got what we call our hybrid teas. These are the classic American Beauty rose, the big bright red ones, long stem that you see. And then, you know, the only difficulty we have with some of those, of course, is that they're not winter hardy, although I'm not so sure that the weather forecast is getting a little bit of winter, but uh, not near what we, we would expect to what we had last year. Things are definitely warming up a little bit that way. But the difficulty we always had with growing the hybrid teas was they they really are not winter hardy, so they had to be dug up and stored in root cellars, or for most people, they would dig them up and bury them. We have a, a process exa- actually called the Minnesota Tip, mm-hmm. where you actually dig a, a trench out in front of the rose, and of course, this is done in very late fall, and then you'd have to actually push the rose canes back down into that trench and then cover it with soil, called the Minnesota Tip. Other people would dig the entire plant up. This is after you cut the canes back in the fall, and again, they would uh, bury them in a well-drained location, and I've done that myself. You got to make sure one thing that you got them tagged, and you got a a string or some other support above. <laughs> Remember where they are because right. you really do, and you're you're around there digging or digging in the spring, trying to get them up and get them planted. And uh, you got a spade, and there's always a risk of mm. cutting into the the crown of the plant. So you really have to you have to have a pretty good idea of where they're going to going to be planted if you're going to dig them up. We do. Fortunately, we've got uh, what we call our hardy shrub roses. And uh, these are the roses that uh, are so much easier to grow. Uh, they're not quite as magnificent, uh, perhaps, as some of the hybrid teas. But nonetheless, uh, the flowers are beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're nice and hardy, hardy down to zone two. Although, Todd touched on that a little bit earlier, we've lost some of our coldest zones. And we don't have any zone two areas any longer in the state of Minnesota. Got to go way up into the Arctic to get that now or into Canada. And... Uh, we do however have a lot of zone three uh, areas and down along the lake zone four we're still not zone five now that's kind of interesting zone five is one of those winter hardiness zones that tends to open up an awful lot of plant material so in the uh, the horticultural world uh, a lot of people would really like to be growing zone five got a little down in the uh, heat islands of the twin cities but other than that uh, we really in this area are still along the lake zone four over the hill zone three 
But so many of these uh, hardy shrub roses are going to do extremely well uh, in that area. It's kind of interesting, Dave. We used to go up to Canada and uh, still do. The Canadians had a tremendous rose breeding program. Oh. And it was uh, was developed really by their Department of Agriculture. Uh, They've looked for a lot of specialty crops up there. We had a great experiment station in, in Morton, Manitoba. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, they cut back on their uh, rose breeding program, but we've still got so many introductions. They call them the Explorer Series. So just about any Canadian explorer from Henry Hudson on out, uh, they named a beautiful shrub rose after it. We've still got a, a lot of those in the um, in the market. Champlain, Frontenac, to name a few that come to mind. Um, uh, certainly Henry Hudson from Hudson Bay fame. Uh, he was one of the great Canadian explorers. So they've got a whole series of very, very hardy roses that we really relied upon, and uh, we were very fortunate to have. So shrub roses, nice and hardy, just have to cut them back, might have to control up. As always, with so many of these uh, perennial winter materials, might have to be concerned about mice, rabbits, so fencing them off is not a bad idea at all, but certainly they don't have to be dug and buried and uh, replanted in the spring. So we're very fortunate uh, in this area. We have a lot of material. We've got some material from the University of Minnesota. Uh, there's a series down there. I happen to know the breeder, Stan Hokinson, uh, who's done a real nice job. He's got a series called Northern Accents. Uh, for fun, he's kind of named them Northern Accents, Ole, Sven, and uh, Ingrid. Those are the ones that I recall at least. And uh, they all have their own specific uh, characteristics, but hardy. Hardiness is one of the key things, and for most of us that want things a little bit more convenient these days, hardy shrub roses is definitely way to go. And uh, you might be able to get uh, for tomorrow, you can buy some of the roses or cut flowers, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, but a, a gift certificate for one of these hardy shrub roses from one of our local nurseries or landscapes I think would be an extremely nice uh, Valentine's gift for just about anyone, and so many of them are available. They'll be coming out next spring, of course. All right, and uh, again, the cut flowers you mentioned last week, too. You just got to, I guess, keep them watered and hope they'll last for a while. Well, that's right, and uh, of course, cut cut flower production, that's kind of gone throughout the world. We think of the Netherlands, but Mm. so much of that production has actually gone on down in South America, Uh, Ecuador, Colombia, two great big countries, Africa now, uh, Kenya, a huge production area, so they really get moved around, and of course, it's, it's very interesting because uh, they'll be cut and they'll be refrigerated and then shipped. And remarkably, a lot of the production gets shipped into the Netherlands, where they have great big flower auctions. And we actually have got buyers from the United States. As a matter of fact, it was amazing to me. I did have the good fortune uh, to see that part of the Netherlands at one of their flower auctions, and here. Lo and behold, there were two buyers from Bachman's down the Twin Cities that were bidding on a lot of this production. So they get these beautiful flowers that are flown in there, and then they're redistributed throughout the world. So it's uh, it's quite an interesting process. I know that process got interrupted a little bit, uh, like a lot of things did with supply chains just recently. But nonetheless, uh, they're definitely coming back. The other thing that's coming back is uh, growing your own cut flowers and flowers for cutting and uh we may get a chance to do a little bit of that. We do have a speaker that's going to talk about that in one of our programs in March, and uh, that's becoming more and more uh, fashionable. So uh, we do have some options out there, and flowers are certainly one of them. And uh, I think the key thing with cut flowers, you've got some preservatives you could put in the flower, but also uh, let's keep it away from 
any heat source. You don't want it near a radiator or uh, if you got forced air anywhere near a, near a vent and out of those hot southern windows. So we really want to keep it cool and uh, a little bit lower light and then uh, a little less uh, actual air movement. And then you can do, make sure you have plenty of moisture there, of course, plenty of water in the vases. But also you want to uh, be sure that you've got uh, some of the flower preservative that is supplied. So they'll last many, many days if you take care of them. Uh, but uh, nothing's going to quite last as long as a good hardy shrub rose that right. you got planted out in the backyard. That'll produce maybe not February every year, but it will produce <laughs> every year during the growing season. Yeah, I guess I never realized that the cut flowers were cut a long time before you get them, it sounds like, from uh, South America or, or the Netherlands. Yeah, it's really amazing. And, of course, this is all about jet airfare. Wow. And, uh, they, they get all that done in a couple of days, get them moved around, get mm-hmm. them bought. So, but the thing that I found that was remarkable, years ago we actually had a, uh, we had a program where we, we were developing uh, some cut flowers, and we found that uh, we actually had some, some material that was bought remarkably by a wholesaler down in uh, Louisiana. And lo and behold, uh, he was buying a lot of the material, and he had big contracts shipping it to the Netherlands, and some of that was coming back here that we grew <laughs> in the backyard. Wow! So uh, a lot of a lot of product moves around the world today, uh, in just about every every realm. But uh, jet airfare and jet flight is certainly a big part of that, Dave. So, All right. But nonetheless, you can go out to your local retailers, and it, it is there, and it is there today. Uh, for this rather uh, remarkable day, for sure. Very good. Hey, Bob, we'll take a quick break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, 926 now at KDAL. All right, Bob, we're back. Uh, be around 30 for a high today. That's above normal. Tomorrow, uh, Valentine's Day, will be in the mid-30s, again, above normal. Thursday, mid-20s, which is about normal for this time of year. And for the first time in, I think, about a month, will be below normal on Friday with highs only in the, uh, let's see, teens, 15 to 20 degrees for the high on uh, Friday. Saturday looks to be, uh, well, low 30s, and by Sunday we'll be back above normal again. Yeah, that's just a remarkable forecast and uh, <laughs> been a remarkable winter for it sure. It certainly has. It's going to be very interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about winter hardiness, and that's our mm-hmm. first concern. I mentioned the hardy shrub roses uh, developed in Morden, um, Manitoba, for the most part, that Explorer series at least. And uh, the big claim to fame was they were hardy, so we could always plant them here and never be concerned about them. Now, it's kind of strange as things are moving along. We're a little concerned that all this warm weather, we may get some of this material that begins to grow early, break early, as we say. And uh, then if we get sharply cold temperatures again, we can have some damage. We're not seeing much of that yet at this point, and hopefully not. We really want them to get in there, get dormant. This is the uh, hardy woody material, woody perennial material. We really want it to be dormant in the fall, nice cool down. And then, uh, of course, colder temperatures right up until spring when things begin to break. We don't have to worry about uh, any any damage from colder temperatures. But it's going to be kind of interesting. Uh, we had some of that rain earlier in December. I know a lot of folks plant spring flowering bulbs, whether they be tulips or narcissus or daffodils. I put a fair amount of garlic in the ground, and uh, we had a lot of rain over that period. I'm just hoping that a lot of that did not uh, rot off in the process. We didn't have to worry near as much about uh, keeping it protected and covered as we do in typical years. But every growing season is going to be just a little bit different, Dave, as you as you know. You're close to this. We're getting longer days now. That's encouraging. 5.30 so, uh, for sunset this afternoon. 
Yeah, that's remarkable. I remember when it was 4.30, not mm-hmm. too long ago. And uh, so we're, that's occurring. Uh, we're getting to see some of our indoor house plants that are beginning to, to grow just a little bit. I wanted to just uh, touch briefly again on roses since we talked a little bit about that topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we got this wonderful attraction, the Duluth Rose Garden. You know, that's got a great history. It goes way back to uh, into the 60s when before the freeway came through and that Rose Garden was down along the Leaf Erickson Park. And then, of course, it was resurrected, put on top of the underground tunnel. As a matter of fact, it's my understanding that one of the reasons the tunnels are there is to save the Rose Garden. So we got the Rose Garden <laughs> on top of the tunnels. Uh, we've got a, a beautiful lake walk along Lake Superior as a result of that. And it kind of goes back uh, to the fact that uh, people in the area really wanted to keep those roses present, have a real nice display area. So kudos to the city of Duluth, the beautiful job they do there. If folks haven't had a chance to get down there, uh, busy time during the summer. The tourists use it more than maybe some of the local residents yeah. do, but you got to get down there and see some of those gorgeous roses. And there they do, of course, have the uh, the hybrid teas. Uh, they've got a lot of community involvement that help them bury them. Uh, a lot of folks collect leaves, so they've got uh, protection for them, bag leaves. And uh, they also have a, a real nice display of the hardy shrub roses, as well as a lot of the peonies. So, uh mm-hmm. It, it's really a, a wonderful area and adds so much to our season. You know, we for the longest time, Dave, we were kind of apologetic about the fact we were so far north having a little difficulty uh, growing some materials with very cold winters, with very sh- relatively short growing seasons. It's beginning to change just a little bit with some of the temperature change, and our growing season is actually getting extended a little bit. We're always going to have that real long, long summer days, and that's what gives us this incredible brilliance. Uh, during the summer months, why flowers really are so uh, well-suited for this area. We get the beautiful colors with all the sunlight during the day, and then we've got cooler temperatures, so a lot of those pigments don't really fade out for us. So we've got really vibrant, beautiful colors. So we're not going to apologize to anybody uh, for the flowers we can grow. We struggle with some of the warm-season fruit and vegetable crops, but nonetheless, uh, that's changing a little bit as well. Last year, of course, uh, we had that remarkable year where we got hot and dry and then uh, plenty of moisture in the fall, which is a, a good thing about the fact we don't have much frost in the ground. We've, uh, we're picking up some of this moisture that, that's melted with that snow melt. So actually, on the, on the whole, uh, we're looking pretty good at coming into this year's uh, growing season. Looking forward to it, as always, Dave. Mm-hmm. You know, if I could mention just one other thing, you know, we've we're not considered this far north to be a great big you know, horticulture or gardening region for that matter. But we've got a few very remarkable people that have done some great things. I want to just mention Julie Overham. She was an individual that uh, she decided midlife, mid-career, that she was going to leave her, her career as a medical technologist. And uh, she wanted to become a rose breeder. So remarkably went down to the University of Minnesota, picked up a lot of the rose breeding classes down there. And she told me about, uh, gee, it's maybe 25 or 28 years ago, she was one of the St. Louis County Master Gardeners, uh, that her goal in life was to be a rose breeder, and she wanted one introduction. And uh, she was looking for hardy shrub roses. Again, uh, these are roses that are relatively disease-free. One of the problems, again, particularly in our humid climate with hybrid tea roses, is they're quite vulnerable to black spot and other fungal diseases. So she was looking for materials that were good and hardy. Uh, Florific, of course, uh, would really produce a lot of beautiful flowers and repeat blooming. 
and then uh, a disease-free or nearly as disease-free as she could find. Uh, spent um, a couple of decades really making her own crosses, her own selections, and she's just out of Superior now in Douglas County. She moved there, actually, because it's a little easier to produce some of this material. They've got some lighter, uh, sandier soils, so for running these things out in the field, it's a little easier to produce it. So I think that was one of her objectives of moving just a little bit uh, to the east there. And uh, she's been involved in that. And just a couple of years ago, she had her first introduction. It's called Jerry, Cherry Frost, a beautiful deep rose, hardy shrub rose. It has gone globally. It's very interesting because some of the major retailers have picked it up. Most of the production is in California right now. And some of our local nurseries tell me that it's been so successful that they're looking for very large orders now, some of the, uh, some of the nurseries. So if you can if you can afford to buy a thousand plants, they'll sell them to you. But they've gone throughout the world, even into mainland China. I've been told, and uh, some of our major mass outlets, including uh, Menards and Home Depot, I've seen it both locations. One of her wonderful roses. So she managed to accomplish that. She's continuing to work on that whole process. A lot of her new introductions are more subtle in color. This is a very vibrant color. It's a uh, deep, deep red, and uh, actually the name is is really rather appropriate, Cherry Frost. And uh, she was telling me she's got some great introductions, but they're a little more subtle in terms of color, the pastels and so forth. And she says, unfortunately, they do not sell as well uh, in the mass market. So whether or not she gets any of these introduced, uh, we're not really sure. But nonetheless, Julie Overham, uh, certainly a big shout-out to her. And uh, she's one of the, the local folks that really had, a, had an impact on uh, the horticulture and the, certainly the rose industry in the United States and globally. So that's a lot of fun. It shows yeah. you what you can do if you get committed to something. And uh, we're all very proud of uh, Julie for, what, for her contribution. Do you think there's uh, a, a cherry frost uh, sample in the rose garden or no? You know that's a real good, uh, real good question. I, oh, okay. I know in our landscapes uh, where they are, uh, without a doubt, there must be cherry frost yeah. down there. I actually tried to buy a couple last fall. I'm going to be involved in putting in a display garden with some of our volunteers down at the St. Louis County Depot, mm-hmm. and I'm going to actually feature an area where we've got uh, some remarkable people that have made a contribution. So. I had uh, actually tagged a couple cherry frosts at a local nursery, and unfortunately, the word didn't get out. I hadn't paid for them yet, and they had a landscape project, so they went out into the landscape someplace. But I've got a couple reserved for uh, for next year, and uh, if people are out there, there's a beautiful display on uh, on Arlington Avenue between Central Entrance and um, Rice Lake Road there, or Arrowhead Road, I guess I should say. And uh, they're on the north side. They're absolutely beautiful. This is a homeowner that's put them in. So you can see them on display. They're magnificent. They've been there maybe for eight, nine, ten years, and they, they perform beautifully every year. So there's there's a beautiful rose if you get your hands on one next year, and I know you will be able to, uh, but very pleased and proud of the fact that we've got uh, a local plant breeder that actually is responsible for uh, bringing that wonderful hardy shrub rose to us, Dave. Bob, uh, if you take care of them, how long can you expect the shrub roses to last? I mean, are they long-growing? Long that's uh, that's a real good question. Yeah, they, they've got great longevity. Wow. Uh, the big issue, of course, is even though they're thorny, if you've got a deer issue, oh. you're going to have to... Uh, I found that out firsthand. Yeah, they eat them thorns and all. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I guess hunger is a big motivator for some of those critters. <laughs> wow. uh, so you're going to have to protect. 
and you want them to grow out well. So you want to, for longevity, you really want a, a good hardy root system. And uh, that means you got you don't want to get the, let the deer chomp back half of it. You cut them back early in the spring, but once they start to grow, uh, you really want to uh, make sure that you get as much good uh, green material out there. So that that's really important for producing the sugars we need to get them through the winter and so forth. So they'll last a long, a long, long while. I'm thinking uh, decades. Wow, so that's. Uh, that's really a, a good sign under proper growing conditions and right. full sun and good drainage and uh, a little bit of fertility and care for them. They will really last a very, very long time. That's good to hear. And uh, they're pretty flowers for sure. No doubt about it. And uh, like you said, they'd be a great gift, maybe a gift certificate to pick one of those up this spring. Yeah, I really am a big fan of that. And there's mm-hmm. a gift that's going to keep on giving yeah. for years and years. You know, the other big item coming up here on to Valentine's Day, of course, is chocolate. Somebody asked me that if we could grow uh, cocoa beans, actually. All the chocolate does come from cocoa beans. Yeah. You know, Dave, our climate is warming, but it's going to be a Not long that time far, before huh? we're... No. Uh, most of the, uh, virtually all of the uh, cocoa bean production does, in fact, come from the tropical regions. Ah of the world uh, africa is the great big source so even though you hear swiss chocolate and you hear about belgian chocolate <laughs> uh, all the beans themselves are grown in the tropical regions we have a little bit of production in in hawaii i, I understand but right. uh, very limited most of it certainly is coming from the tropics and then those beans are you know they're harvested they're roasted they're dried mm-hmm. they're shipped and then the uh shipped into Europe. It started with the Swiss and the Belgians and now, of course, Hershey's in the United States. Right. All the beans come from the tropics and uh, then they do a lot of things with them uh, when they're done. But again, yeah. chocolate, a big part of uh, of the Valentine holiday. Uh, but uh, roses, we can grow. Uh, chocolate, I think it's going to be a long time and we really don't want to climb it up here where we could possibly grow those cocoa beans. Yeah, okay. same kind of deal with coffee, I guess. you can uh, You can certainly grind the beans up here, but you can't grow them. Same exact thing with coffee. You could <laughs> right. certainly grind them. That's a good way of putting it. And you could probably make chocolate if you wanted to get the beans as well. There you go. I think that's a science in and of itself. But, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long time before we're growing either uh, coffee or chocolate beans. All right. We'll take another break, Bob. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up on KDAO. This is the Bob Olin Show for a Tuesday, the 13th of February. Uh, Bob, you're only a month away from the big show at the depot on March 16th. Well, that's right. We're about a month away. That's our spring gardening extravaganza. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked a little bit about color. We, uh, we've called this <laughs> Color Your World. We've seen so many new introductions. Uh, the, the flowers have always been very colorful, but we've got some great new introductions there that are spectacular. And uh, then we've got uh, color in, in the fruit and vegetable realm. Uh, we've got uh, so many introductions now. There is an awareness that these colorful pigments really are very substantial antioxidants uh they're there because they've protected so many of the uh the plants themselves over time and uh we're aware now we eat some of these more colorful vegetables and uh, we get some protective effect uh for ourselves as we consume them so there's been a lot of interest in color so though we just take a look at that it's been very very fascinating uh process here we're going to talk a little bit about the science of color we're going to talk uh as well about the aesthetics or the beauty very pleased. This is in the, in Duluth at the depot on March 16th. Adam Swanson, that that really was the commissioned artist that uh, did this beautiful butterfly mural on the rotunda of the depot. It's magnificent. It's going to last for years. Uh, very very colorful. He's going to also discuss how he looks at color. So 
my whole thought process there is we're going to give you a, a palette of uh, flowering materials, uh, different colors you can work from, and then with maybe Adam's help, we can figure out how we can design these things and put them together. So Color Your World is the main theme, but we're also going to be talking about uh, embracing uh, climate change as gardeners. So we've got a speaker that's going to talk a little bit about what we're seeing uh, in terms of what the weather statistics are saying and what we might expect for this next year. Although uh, I've given up on predictions. we These things have been so uh, difficult and hard to predict. But I will say this, we can expect that we're going to see some weather extremes. Last year, we had uh, record snowfall, of course, followed by record drought. And then we got through the end of the season, we had a record uh, moisture in the month of September. So we're, we're seeing these fluctuations all over the place. And yet on the whole, when you put it together, the averages have been pretty good. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how you can become a little bit more of a resilient gardener and actually benefit uh, from what, what we're observing. We haven't had the extreme hot temperatures. Uh, we've had night temperatures come up a little bit. We've had our growing season be extended a little bit. But un- unlike other parts of the United States and the world, we haven't had these intense summer temperatures. So if that continues, we have lots of light. We've got very good temperatures. Uh, average temperatures in July, right around 75 degrees or so. That's just about perfect during the day. And uh, lots of light at that time, of course, and this is allowing us to really grow some spectacular flowers as well as some really great uh, fruits and vegetables. So we got a great day planned. Uh, it is a full day. It's down at the depot, uh, and uh, we'll have a nice hot uh, lunch for folks as well. We're putting together a resource book that's always over 100 pages. I'm working hard to write some of the content as well as so many of our other speakers and the St. Louis County Master Gardener. So we really have a full day plan. We've got uh, 13 or 14 workshops in the afternoon. Uh, you get to pick from those, and if you can't make them all, we're, we're getting some reference material for you as well. So everything there from eating a little bit better, uh, mm-hmm. growing better nutrition, uh, garlic, uh, flowers, uh, pollinators, uh, constructing uh, beehive material, or I should say bee houses for some of our native pollinators, a, a, a shop workshop on houseplant propagation, almost too few to mention, too many to mention there. So it's a big day. It's a spectacular. We've got that going on March 16th. We might be constrained. We were just right at the max last year. So if you want to get in, uh, register early for that. Uh, because uh, we will be, I'm, ass- I'm assuming, very full again this year. Just Google St. Louis County Extension. We have two programs. We've got that one called our Spring Extravaganza. Got one on the range on March 28th mm-hmm. uh, called our uh, Spring Spectacular. So both are out there. Google St. Louis County Extension and Farm and Garden is where you're going to find ah. uh, the material and then how to uh, actually register online if you like. So big days coming up. We're going to have a good time with both. I'm really uh, quite excited about it. Uh, I've learned a lot in preparing some of the material and working so, with so many of our, our other professionals to bring this to people, Dave. Yeah, interesting to see you got so much stuff going on. You probably won't be able to catch all of the workshops that you have, but uh, you can pick and choose the ones that interest you the most. Well, that's right. We've got people that uh, like the flowering side of things, people like the edible side. So we're trying to bring a little bit of everything section there on container gardening. So if you've got an apartment with a balcony or a sunny exposure, a patio, and you want to get things out in containers. So we're trying to give people 
just a little bit of everything. And uh, you can pick and choose. But again, uh, one effort that I really try to make, I know how difficult that is. So uh, you can't get to them all, but we've got some backup material for those sessions that you might have missed, including our uh, both fruit and vegetable variety lists uh, ready for 2024 here. Uh, Lots of uh, new varieties there. So you get the complete in the book. You're going to get the complete uh, fruit, vegetable uh, variety lists, as well as so much other content, Dave. All included. All you got to do is uh, sign up there at the website. And again, you can find that by Googling St. Louis County Extension. And then go to the what what section? Uh, go to Farm and Garden. Farm and Garden. There you go. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because we, the, the Extension's got the 4-H program, got a lot mm-hmm. of other things going on as well. But Hort is one of the great big drivers, Hort Agriculture. But you got to go to Farm and Garden, and it's all there for you. All or right. you can call, uh, if you want to use a phone number, 218-733-7120. So you can you can call as well and, and register that way as well, Dave. Very good. We'll take another break, Bob, and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, 949 now on a Tuesday morning. And we're back. Final portion of the Bob, Bob Olin Show here on the 13th of February. Bob, is it too early to get your garden started here? I mean, the planning and what have you going on and make sure all the seeds are in and away you go. Well, you definitely want to get some seed lined up at this yeah. particular point. Uh, we are fortunate. We had a you know, during the pandemic time there, we had some sh- severe shortages because mm-hmm. so many gardeners uh, got started and uh, it was kind of hard, especially for the retail customer, to get some of the seed. And uh, that's pretty well resolved itself, I think. So you're going to be able to get plenty of seed, but never hurts to line some things up. Mm-hmm. Plan just a little bit what you're going to do. Um, you know, I think more than anything, and I'm developing some of this content, how we're going to adjust to these changing climatic conditions we have and i'm kind of segmenting things out we're going to take a look at spring summer and fall crops Uh, we've had warm falls lately we've had cold springs but i don't know what's coming this year Uh, i would be ready for kind of a warm spring there have been times when we've been able to do a lot of planting in the month of april so actually i'm getting uh ready to go there certainly some of the salad crops uh can go in and so you can think about that just a little bit so we're really not too far away uh, in terms of starting some of these things from seed, we really looked uh, in the vegetable world about yeah. March 1 when we put in our uh, leeks and our uh, onions. Uh, that kind of material takes a long time to grow, so that goes in very early. Just about everything else, we're going to push it off for about a month, either the end of March or into early April. We, we start taking a look at uh, the peppers and the tomatoes and other things like that. Dave's got a little time there, but time yeah. to get organized and, and get ready to go. I just might mention that I'm working with a a speaker on um, uh, the pollinator section of the spring gardening extravaganza, and uh, I really have to give Carol Christensen a lot of credit because she was uh, she had observed that so many of the native bees really rely on uh, a good habitat that people are not aware of, uh, so leaving some areas uh, undisturbed, and then. Uh, the mar- merchandisers started producing these bee houses, little tubes, and, and she pointed out to me that these are really all wrong, and she'd like to correct <laughs> people a little bit. So she's uh, developed uh, her own series of information on how you can either purchase the proper type of a bee house if you want to do something for the native pollinating bees. And most of these native bees, these aren't the honeybees. The guys that do the real work are the uh, are the native bees, and we've got 100 species or so that are out there doing the pollinating for us. But uh, they can use a little help with a lot of agricultural land being plowed up. Uh, there's a lot of disturbed areas, and uh, there's an awareness that we really want to create habitat. One thing you can do is create these bee houses. So uh, 
that's going to be an actual workshop session. It's my understanding that you'll actually be making some of these things. Wow. But we've got fact sheets that we're developing specifically that will go in the resource book. So if you want to go and look at container gardening, you don't have time for the uh, the bee house construction workshop, you're going to have some instructions that uh, will be at your disposal and available as well. So. Uh, she just finished that up. She sent me a note here this morning, and we're going to do a little editing and get that reproduced uh, for folks uh, for the March 16th conference. So Bob, if, if the bees there. don't if the bees don't live in a bee house, where do they hang out usually? <laughs> well, actually, uh, there are a lot of them are hanging out there over winter down in the ground. And that's ah, you okay. can't do too much fall rototilling. You got to leave some areas. And actually, a lot of them really their their native houses are the hollow stems of a lot of this uh, perennial material. Wow! So you've got a uh, you know you got a flowering uh, plant uh, that's taken off. It's grown. They've got hollow stems, and that's another reason why we really don't want to take. Uh, some of these down in the fall, let them go through the winter, hmm. because a lot of these hollow stems uh, are, in fact, the the typical native housing that a lot of the native bees actually use. So there's some new awareness out there, and of course, in this uh, uh, incredible uh, society we have, as soon as there's some interest, there's someone making a product out there. So we had a lot of these bee houses being sold, and uh, I was not aware of it, but a lot of them are really not appropriate. But we're going to give you the uh, a straight deal on how you can, in fact, uh, create a little housing if you like to enhance and make life a little easier for our, our native pollinators. All right, Bob, we got a call. It has to be a quick one. Hi, who's this? Hi, Bob. Um, this is Beth, and I'm calling about roses. You were talking about roses, and I thought, well, I might as well ask my question now instead of later. Sure. <laughs> I have some roses that my mom raised for 65 years, and I dug them all out of her rose bush, and I have them buried in our garden right now. And I want to plant them in the spring, and I want to try to grow them. I'm not sure. I don't have a, a green thumb like she did. But um, we have kind of clay. It's more of a clay soil where I want to put them. And I was just wondering if there's anything special I need to put in the ground before I put the roses in there. Uh, it's a good a good question. Uh, you know, uh, once again, these were your mothers, correct? And you trans- yes. you lifted them or transplanted them. When did when did you put, uh, transplant them into your garden last fall? Yes, I put them in in the fall. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got them buried at this particular time, and you're looking for a site. Uh, I think drainage is going to be the the big thing if you have a heavy clay soil. So the one thing that you it's want to do really, is I would. It, 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 I was going to say it's not ahead. real clay. It's kind of it's kind of a mix, but it's more clay. We have kind of a mix of sand and clay, but it's a little bit oh. more clay. But it's not real bad. It's not really clay. Okay, that's that's really really good news because uh, you might have what we call a clay loam where you got a mix. Um, too much water accumulating can be difficult. So all I think I would do is I'd find a higher site, and then I would incorporate good compost. So let's work some compost in before you you plant them. The nice thing is if they don't seem to be doing well in that site, but they're still alive, you kept them going. We can move them to a better location. So sounds like you got a pretty good site. Let's look for full sun. Let's let's get some compost. If you haven't made your own, you know, the uh, Lake Superior Sanitary District's got a great product called Garden Green. Let's get that worked in, and then you want to lift them. And if you could do that in uh, early May, maybe this year, late April, and get them off to a good start before they break bud and get them uh, in there and established, uh, that's always the best with this perennial material. The earlier in the spring we can plant it, the better it grows. That doesn't mean that it's not going to grow if you go a little bit later than that. But uh, going early, preparing early, of course, if we have an early spring, 
Uh, when we've got all the light, I think that'll work well. I incorporate okay. rototill mm-hmm. rot- uh, in some uh, compost. That may be all you need. Maybe a little bit of uh, potassium uh, down in the ground as well, so you can get even a little bit of a commercial lawn fertilizer, a little in. Uh, that's uh, typically nitrogen, no phosphorus, a little bit of potassium. We tend to be deficient in potassium in our soils. Work that in with the compost to get them planted in early spring, and then let us know how you do. I think that's wonderful. You're saving them the good memories of your uh, your mother for sure. Thank you, Bob, and I sure enjoy your program. Thanks a lot for the call. Well, appreciate very, it. Appreciate the call. Very, very interesting. Plants mm-hmm. mean a lot to a lot of people. I know in my case, I've got some indoor plants that I really want to protect because they're they're now family heirloom plants that have gone down from my grandmother to my mother, and now I'm I'm taking care of them. So this was really a fun call. All right, and uh, means a lot. Thank you, Dave. We had a nice program. Yeah, we got a couple weeks off for you, and you'll be back in a, in about three weeks. So we'll catch you then. Great, Dave. Thank, Thank you, Bob.